Hello and welcome to the Weekend Review by the Voiro Podcast, episode 11. I am Anand Gopal and as always with me is Kavita Shenoy, founder and CEO of Voiro. Hi Kavita. Hey Anand, what's happening? How are you? It's bubbling over with all this news of Netflix and Snap and advertising just seeing the, the light of day in a positive way. Mm-hmm. So this whole week was a buzz with Netflix's... Um, Due to results, Snap's results came out yesterday. And there's a lot of similarity, I want to say, between what they are saying. Um, very famously, Reed Hastings went on record with an analyst to say, quote, our excitement is tempered by less bad results. I mean, everybody was expecting them to uh, lose 2 million subs, subs, but they lost about 970, about a million. So they kind of set themselves up for a big loss. And then there was a slightly smaller loss, but they're looking to claw back those subscribers with a variety of ways. One is obviously a subsidized version of um, subscriptions, which is ad supported. And of course, there is um, charging for households, which I think you're going to shed some light on a little later in the podcast. On the other side, Snap released their results yesterday and they were pretty harsh on themselves. They opened their investor letter saying, we are not satisfied with the results we are delivering. And the thing with Snap is that they've had and they've enjoyed an annual compounded growth rate of about 50%, um, you know, since their IPO in 2018. And uh, right now they're kind of dwindling, but they want to make sure that, but they've made some good investments and they want to make sure that they're diversifying their revenue sources. And they want to make sure that they, with that, they diversify their top-line growth. One is obviously doubling down on direct response advertising to deliver measurable results on advertising spending. They have invested heavily on maps. I know you and I are not uh, users of Snapchat. I could be. Okay, fine. All right, then. So there, there So you can shed some light on this maps thing, I, I assume. So there is... There's this whole feature of maps where you can actually go to restaurants and use AR to walk through these restaurants and mm-hmm. experience things. It's very, it sounds, it's, it sounds very um, video gamey, but it's extremely engaging. And, you know, you can, if you just, if you just look at it from a very, very, um, uh, uh, even a short term view of it, you can see the number of things you could do in terms of advertising. You know, a walkthrough of a restaurant, what all you can place there, the kind of uh, shopping experience it can give people. And there are there are there are so many things that you can do it in a, in, a, in a digital virtual environment, more like the metaverse. Um, and uh, they also see uh, you know huge opportunities driven by other AR products that they're coming up with. And of course, they have also thrown their hat in the ring with subscription, where they're coming out with Snapchat Plus, which is about um, three dollars ninety nine per month, where they can where certain where you can subscribe to certain types of influencers and content creators, much like television or even on like YouTube and things like that. So the thing that the the theme, this is something that we had predicted at Voiro, right? Long, long time ago, four score and a hundred years mm. in Voiro, when we started saying that advertising and creating monetiz- monetizable opportunities through content are several. But the the secret sauce is in how the content creator actually manages it, right? And you, we saw this at uh, the time when YouTube had MCNs and MCNs came together 
um, and they represented all this talent on YouTube and they collected all their um, their various types of videos and then they gave them opportunities to write books and give talks and have events and go on stage and become like artists and put them on TV and so on and so forth and they became almost the talent managers. Mm. If you turn that around today to long-standing or large publishers who have like this kind of revenue, one, one and a half billion in uh, ad revenue, the kind of experimentation and the number of demand sources that they have to activate um, concurrently and manage is massive. Mm -hmm. So having products like Boyro in there actually helps um, publishers like this. And I'm sure large publishers like Snap or uh, Google or uh, YouTube and Netflix and so on and all the other publishers have um, products like Voiro. But I want to know what you think about how publishers can utilize us as a plat platform in today's day and age where these bearbots are leading the way on opening several sources of revenue and driving experimentation in the hope that they can create more opportunities for advertisers to interact with their consumers. I have two words for you, commercial agility. But before that, I must first let it be known that I reject this notion that I am not a snapper. <laughs> I mean, I, I might not all, be. First of all, it is not snapper, it there is snapchatter. Snapchatter, okay. Okay. okay, so I'm already not So it. you're not even with not it. it. But Sorry. the fact that it is an automatic assumption is something I need to, <laughs> I need to check in with my PR folks <laughs> about this. Two, why are they calling it Snapchat plus this, 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 Plus suffix has got to stop. Everybody is plusing themselves. I'm going to be Kavita plus yeah, next week. People want to know where Voiro plus is. Version of where is Voiro plus? <laughs> but um, I think what we're witnessing with Snapchat, with uh, Netflix, and a lot of these organizations is you spend a lot of your time focusing on your underlying offering, which could be streaming, it could be content, it could be social media, it could be anything that has the ability to offer value to consumers. What do tech companies do? What do tech companies pride themselves on? It is the ability to be technologically agile. Your teams, your technology, your DevOps, your scalability, your caching systems, everything that needs you to scale your product and scale your basket of offerings which gives value to the people who congregate around your service. But a lot of folks forget that commercial agility is just as important to keep your business viable for the day, not, not just for the day you want to be profitable, but for you to have a sound business model. We've seen Shark Tank. We are entrepreneurs and we have been through the ringer a few times of pitching to venture capitalists. And one of the earliest mistakes that we ourselves have made, we've seen founders make, is to not focus hard enough, hard enough on the simple question, which is how is this going to make money? How are you going to be commercially viable? And I think there is a very strong correlation between being commercially viable in the long term and being commercially agile, which is you could choose to open multiple revenue streams or you could choose to have the option to drive commercial success through multiple angles. And what that basically means is have multiple revenue models that creates non-linearity in revenue. And what we're seeing with every one of our customers is there is commercial agility at a broad level, which is can I bring in subscription revenue and be ad supported and 
use some combination of these to create multiple versions of my product. And two is within advertising. Can I run a direct sales ship? Can I open my product, my audiences, my inventory to the open internet and to the open auction ecosystem? But I don't want to just pick one and assume that that is the solid long-term bet. And if it fails, I have nothing to fall back on. Today, from an advertising standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, commercial agility can change every minute. You can have multiple revenue channels that coexist seamlessly for different groups of audiences as well as for the same audience where they want to watch sport, which is ad-supported, but premium content, which is subscription-driven or the other way around. What we give our customers is the ability to drive commercial agility and also experiment with new business models because you never know what's going to work till you try multiple models. And once you try a model and it works, you never know how long it's going to work. And that's pretty much what we offer to customers. And what was most interesting to me with Netflix's results is, one, I don't know where to begin. Because I read their shareholder letter. I was reading Snap's letter along with you. This is board results week at Voiro, which means we penned our own letters. And I was, it was a great learning experience for us to, 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 to be able to read those letters. The big takeaway was this whole narrative that it was not as bad. And this is also where, you know, the U.S. forces publicly listed companies to offer guidance and Snap in didn't. advance. Yeah. Snap declined to yeah. give them a guidance for Q3. But the fact that they projected to lose 2 million subscribers and then ended up losing 970,000 is something the market collectively breathed the sigh of relief, relief. about. Um, I had four takeaways from this. The first one is outside of the broader narrative where the market, you know, bumped their stock up and it was not as bad as expected. They published their results where Latin America and Asia Pacific both came in at about a billion dollars each. Uh, Latin America has crossed a billion dollars and Asia Pacific's about $900 million. In? Uh, in, in? Subscription revenue? In revenue. Okay. Oh, subscription revenue. Yeah. But from the $7 billion they did, these are two significant chunks because Netflix also launched last week a new business model uh, only piloted in Latin America, which allows you to add a household to your subscription plan. And this is something I really like, not because this is independently agreeable, it might not work. But there was an Andreessen Horowitz talk that you and I had watched, I want to say 2020, where they talked about the fact that advertising is not the only route you need to take. And they talked about diversity of revenue and agility. And these are the kind of things I like, is creating new business models, creating new products. The classic revenue management question, which still holds through all of this, is the ability to drive revenue is going to stem from you offering the right product at the right price to the right customer at the right time. Which begs the... And last week I said, what's a TV? This week I'm going to say, what's an ad? What's a product? You could create different tiers. You could bundle different experiences together and then take that to a different segment of your market, price it differently and tap into things that your customers want as opposed to trying to suppress certain types of behavior like password sharing. Um, two is, it seems interesting to note that while the lower priced ad supported tier might be something that might be aimed at an emerging market, the biggest impact of an ad tier can actually come from within the United States where CPMs are much higher because emerging markets are low yield markets but are high in supply. So it'll be interesting to see where they take it. If Latin America and Asia Pacific are effectively a seventh of Netflix's uh, revenue, 
they have chosen to take home sharing as a model to Latin America. I want to know where they'll take their ad-supported model first. And that's something I'd be very keen to watch because it could also cannibalize your own subscribers. People who are paying your full-blown subscription tier might suddenly move to the lower tier. So you don't want that either. So I'd be curious to see how they analyze this and where they pilot it because that'll, that'll be interesting to watch. Three is I was also wondering why Netflix is under this guy. Why, why is everyone talking about them? And I, I believe it's the, the, the fact that they are pioneers. Right? Today, streaming and Netflix are uh, linked together. Um, and when someone is a pioneer, they are a category creator. Maybe they're always going to be under the scanner more because everyone's watching them. Everyone's following them. Um, the last thing, I also spent some time this week listening to two podcasts that I really like. One is The Good Time Show, where they interviewed Mark Andreessen about a month ago. And two is The All In Podcast with Sachs, Friedberg, um, Jason and Chamath, um, four, in, four investors, four billionaires. And they were talking about market dynamics. And I thought it was particularly interesting in the conflict context of Netflix because the market's been funny. We expected a crash at the start of the pandemic and we got one at the end. Everyone's talking about how streaming and growth at all costs is something the market doesn't like. But you could ask the question, why did the market like it to begin with? Um, and the other question which we were talking about on our internal Slack channels is it'll be interesting to see the quarter over quarter difference in institutional shareholding of Netflix because that will tell us who dumped their stock. Was it retail investors who panic and don't know better? Or was it institutional investors, hedge funds? What would you do? ETFs. Would you hold or would you sell? I am, my risk appetite is <laughs> is very bizarre. But um, I would, I, I don't know. I'm not authorized to give uh, financial Stock advice. It. But I'd, I'd hold, I'd hold. If I had Netflix stocks, I'd hold. Okay. But interesting set of developments this week. And I'm waiting to see how the other companies that banked on streaming and then realize it's, troublesome and are now kind of in between. I want to know how they're going to react to this to this um, series of events. Uh, yeah, that's that's going to be something that we're going to be watching out for as well. Building a streaming business is really, really tough. I mean, for Netflix to come onto the scene, build an entire library, you know, take on the giants, enter, uh, enter awards that were particularly only for studios and, you know, the traditional content creators is makes them pioneers. And by that very by that very platform that they hold, they're going to attract this kind of scrutiny. So I think they're prepared prepared for it. And the thing about um, Netflix and streaming and the fact that they are pioneers and all of these things are these are hard things to do, right? And one of the things that are that we also see in advertising that's hard to do is monetizing live sport, right? Um, in the last eight years that Voiro has been around, we've been associated with IPL from 2014. Uh, when Hotstar was in Hotstar at that point in time, it was just StarSports.com, and they were trying to trying to figure out how they can launch an ad-supported live stream model, especially for sports. And sports and news are these these two tentpole money spinners for any kind of um, network. And people want to, and any network would like to hold both of these portfolios because you have a very discerning, loyal audience for both these types of content. And the other day on LinkedIn, I saw a post and, you know, we all got a little excited about it. Um, Fancast is, uh, you know, is going to be streaming exclusively India versus in West Indies, three ODIs and five T20s. 
um, on Fancast, 7 p.m. onwards. And this is specifically to cater to the Indian diaspora in the United States. Now, this is a very, very specific segment of the world population for a very specific sport at a very specific time on a very specific platform. So it has all the makings of a test market, right? Where you can actually kind of ring fence everything and and make sure that you're injecting just the right amount of uh, experimentation and come away with some learnings, right? Uh, why are you smiling so much? Because <laughs> you said test market. Because our first uh, iteration of Voiro that was pioneered for the IPL was first put to use in a test match. Yes, for T20. Correct, for correct, a test correct. Match, not correct. even a T20. It was correct. a test match. Correct. You're right. Uh, these kind of things I like. <laughs> All right. So it's the first time it's not on a private TV channel. It's exclusively on fan code. And, um, you know, why is... And, and the announcement that was made was that this inventory for these five, seven, eight, sorry, eight matches, three ODIs and five T20s will be available through DV360. DV360 is Google's uh, DSP. Now, why is this big? Live sports is notoriously difficult to monetize, right? Because you want to maintain the integrity of the live stream in itself. Um, you're not entirely clear about the kind of inventory you're going to get because there is no particular benchmark that you're going to be... Uh, you're again looking very suspect. What do you want to say? Because <laughs> I was thinking about how if you don't get it right, sports fans will kill you yes. on the internet. I have, I have watched ESPN and a lot of companies get this wrong. And it, the margin for error is so small. If the stream, if you have a companion where the stream is accompanied by a scoreboard and the stream lags the scoreboard by two seconds, don't open Twitter for a few days. <laughs> yes. Not if you are the product manager of that particular app. For sure. So live stream is usually directly sold, right? And we have seen this uh, time and over, whether it's NBC, whether it's Hotstar, whether it's Sony, everybody has a large sales team trying to back up this whole um, uh, inventory. It's available um, on DV360, which means that it's fair game for anybody. It's a very specific audience type. So there's going to be a specific advertiser type running after it. It's Indian diaspora at the end of the day. So you want people who, who uh, it's an intersection of people who like cricket, who are in the US, who identify with a particular type of brand. So I'm not entirely sure what kind of brands they could be, but you know, we'll see. Uh, like I was saying, the integrity of the live stream cannot be compromised, which is why programmatically available live stream inventory is a shocker. How are they going to do this? And I'm very curious, and it starts today. So I'm going to be on that live stream because I want to know what's going on on this live stream. On Fancast. Yeah, on Fancast. And it's historically very hard for advertisers to also activate uh, their campaigns because of the unpredictable nature right, of the stream in itself, the match in itself, and the availability of inventory. What if it gets rained out? What if it gets over fast? Um, but like most apps today, right, which we call our Web3 apps where, you know, commerce is at the center of the application in itself. It's not an afterthought. Like we, we spoke to somebody the other day, a CTO of a large e-commerce company. He basically said that today apps are being built with advertising as a, as a legitimate source of monetization right at the beginning. It's not an afterthought, it's not an also had or anything of that sort. We are going to make money through advertising and that's how we're going to sustain ourselves and this is how we're going to take a share of this already organized advertising market. Um, so similarly, cricket also was developed as a game to be cast on TV as well as on, on, um, on the internet 
with specific break patterns. So after every ball, you can have a you can have an ad ad unit play. You have a drinks break, and you know you and I have done this. We have we've actually placed ads in huge ad breaks for over a hundred matches for IPL, and that was when we were trying to play ball along with the TV side. But this is the way cricket is. So cricket is one of the few sports that are streamed live, that truly lends itself to advertising where audiences are expecting it. Live producers on the ground are expecting it. Players, bowlers, empires, the audience in the live stadium also expect it. There is an ad break, so it's it's part and parcel of the game, which makes it easier for advertisers to address. But in a programmatic scenario, it still becomes extremely messy. You don't know where you're going to go with. So this is a good place for the industry to start, because, like I said, it's so controlled, it's so specific. So the your mistakes are small, your gains are massive. The learnings are going to be great from here. I'm waiting to see what comes out of it. I hope Fancast does a good write-up once this is done and we're able to take and start seeing more of this in other sport and other publishers. Okay, so you are going to, you're going to do something new yes. on today's podcast. Yes, I am very excited about Fire it. Fire away. Um, I wanted to string together a few things that have been happening in the at the intersection of sport and money okay okay um there is uh, a show on espn called the jump where every now and then they do a segment where they table a trend and you're supposed to vote and you have three options is it nothing is it something or is it everything okay i think we are witnessing something that is hard for me to describe and pinpoint but i think it's setting the sport industry for something phenomenally large. And I think it's everything. Um, to your point from the previous segment about DV360 and live sport, I, I read an interesting story on Twitter uh, yesterday about the intersection of sport and money. Okay, so this is the start of my string of stories. Trends. Trends, stories, right. Apparently, in 1983, uh, Indian cricketers used to get a stipend of 600 rupees per day. Okay. And they used to get paid for three days, the day before the match, or 200 rupees per day. So, three days was 600. The day before the match, the day of the match, and the day after the match. And then they used to get food and an additional allowance. And they used to get 2,100 rupees each. For? To play a match. Okay. Okay. This was the Indian cricket team in 1983. And... Um, when the Indian national team won the Cricket World Cup at Lords in London in 1983, the BCCI announced a one lakh prize for every player because sentiment and emotion and the value of those players was through the roof. Indira Gandhi, the photographs with Rajiv Gandhi, all of this stuff happened. And apparently they didn't have the money for it. What? BCCI didn't? They didn't have the money for wow. it at the time. So who ponied up that money? The government? So, India's most loyal cricket fan, uh, until the day she died, was Lata Mangeshkar. Yes. And she stepped up and did a concert just to raise money. Wow. And she successfully pulled it off. Okay? So this story starts here. Where there was a time when this was the relationship between a sporting, a cricket crazy nation and money. There's a very, very cool newsletter that I subscribe to 
by uh, Joe Pompliano called The Huddle, which talks about the relationship between sport and money across various sports. He wrote a post uh, yesterday about lacrosse in the United States. Um, and there is this rise of a new league called the PLL, the Premium Lacrosse League. And I was reading it and I was like, oh, well, you know, great. We had the Kabaddi League here in India that spawned a few years ago. But as I was reading the details, he is invested in the league. And so he was saying, here's my investment thesis. One, I noticed that there is already a league, the major league, the MLL, the major, major league lacrosse, if I'm not mistaken. So this is basically a new league that's trying to upstage an existing league, which has been happening in recent uh, years. Two is, through all of his investment thesis, he ended by basically saying, PLL is basically, to me, a media company. That's it. My radar went up and I was like, I, I, gotta, I gotta look into this. Okay? And so he talks about the league and kind of how small it is compared to every one of the other sporting leagues that we know and we've been tracking. The last few episodes of our podcast, we've talked about the NHL, we've talked about the NFL, we've talked about the NBA, we've talked about uh, Formula One rights, uh, Major League Soccer rights, and of course the big one, IPL, which we broke down three, three or four episodes ago. But the PLL is now seeking investment to upstage the existing league, but lacrosse is still early in its year, so this could still be a fight for the first big league for a sport that is not yet globally popular. Okay. There is a league in Southern California called the Drew League, which last week was suddenly very popular. It happens every summer. It's a pro-am league in, uh, in, in California. And it's basically amateurs who play in an organized basketball tournament. But every summer, it attracts NBA players who show up and play. And actually, contrary to what you would expect, don't dominate. So the amateurs are actually very, very good basketball players. Last week, the reason it was suddenly popular is because LeBron James showed up. And he played and he dropped 42 points and he played well, but it was still not easy. Historically, Kobe Bryant, um, J.R. Smith, uh, Kevin Durant, you've, you name a big player, James Harden, they've all shown up and played the Drew League. So there's this league that's suddenly popular and is blowing up on social media. In fact, the NBA's official website and YouTube channel and TikTok streamed clips from the Drew League. I'm not sure how the rights were aligned, but they did it. Suddenly you have this league that's very small, very tiny, but is blowing up all over social media. Okay, so, which begs the question, what is the value of a league? Is this a league that can command rights, that can command enough money for rights to stream it, to telecast it? It went straight to the NBA, which is the biggest league in basketball. Okay. The NBA in 2016 um, saw a sudden explosion in player salaries. Middling, near-retirement players chose to stay back in the league for an additional year because in 2016, they went from earning uh, very little compared to successful NBA players to suddenly signing contracts worth $50 million, $60 million, $15 million, $20 million for three to four-year deals. And a lot of players who had hung up their boots, unretired, stayed back for a year, made more money than they had made their entire career thus far, and walked away twice as rich at least. And the reason for this is because that year was the launch of an agreement that was signed two years ago, where television rights were, uh, the revenue that came from television rights 
was get it was was shared with the players so suddenly there is this new stream of revenue that was out of reach from the players that was suddenly accessible to them and the nba has a, a players association that's very powerful so they negotiated this updated version of the collective bargaining agreement um and gave each other a lot more revenue so suddenly as a sporting personality you're worth a lot more and you were talking about this in our first segment where you said mcns gave creators the ability to suddenly unlock revenue from multiple sources so now you're not just saying i'll play a match for this team and take a salary there's your worth something very different what is that worth what is your face worth and um we talked about this 3 weeks ago where we talked about duke hiring uh, an executive from nike because college players are now saying what is my nil worth my name my image my likeliness my likeness likeness yeah um so there are a bunch of 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 um events that are unfolding across players agencies naomi osaka launched her own agency lebron james has an agency that is run by his childhood friend rich paul LeBron James has a content company. Kevin Durant has a content company and an investment arm. Um there are now alternate leagues. Live Golf, a controversial golf league, was launched 2 weeks ago and it has caused a stir because PGA players have left and have been considered or called or accused of being sellouts, but Live Golf gives them something that the PGA never did, which is a guaranteed payout just for playing the tournament. Tiger Woods was offered apparently 900 million dollars just to show up. to play at at live golf um lebron james's net worth has crossed a billion dollars and is one of the highest for an active sports person he already owns a portion of liverpool no connection to his life the football team he is looking to buy and own and start a new nba team in las vegas um spencer dinwiddie a fairly less known nba player attempted a few years ago to tokenize his own career where you could invest in his future earnings if he became a lebron james who's worth a billion dollars today so he as jz famously said where he said i'm not a businessman i'm a business man is what lebron has shown is possible and someone at the other end of their career spencer dinwiddie is trying to create for themselves i read this week that ipl franchises have started to buy and own leagues in other countries with the same name so there's the chennai super kings who was who 2 years ago became a unicorn themselves and now there's the johannesburg super kings so it's a sister sports team owned by the chennai super kings there have been technical papers documented about how much an inch of space on a formula car, formula 1 car is worth i think this story from 2100 rupees and lata mangeshkar having to put up a concert just to raise funds for a commitment the bcci made and that commitment was made on the back of the fact that sport and sports people and content and attention is worth so much more than what is today on their paycheck all the way to what we are witnessing today where sports is effectively becoming attention and media where a small league in a corner of california can attract the highest playing paid uh, basketball player in history lebron james where live golf and the pnl pll can basically say i want to create my own league and take over the big leagues of this this sport are all pointing to the fact that as unmish put it there are fans of the sport there are consumers of the sport there are citizens of the sport 
and sport connected to media connected to money is fundamentally becoming something beautiful that we are witnessing and i think this is going to just change sport the way we know it so is it something is it nothing or is it everything oh it's everything it's everything i i Success. think it's everything and thank you for that extremely detailed timeline of how you are presenting this whole this whole trend but it's been building up to this you see it even in our daily lives we see friends and family uh pulling their kids out of regular school so that they can go become semi or or pro players in badminton or in golf or move continents to go and pursue football because there are careers and career streams that are there today in sport we see ctv being able to spawn um fast channels where you're able to stream hyper local events you can have an event in jakarta for your particular league and you have you can stream and pop create a pop up channel where you can get advertisers and you can actually create a nice tidy sum of money and uh, a nice little media package around that particular sport which was never there before tata mangeshkar having a fundraiser event is our woeful lack of technology at that time and it's a great story to today sports people taking to being brand ambassadors because now they can speak for themselves because they don't need another artist to be able to drum up attention 100% right so you're right the attention economy is here to stay and uh, speaking of attention you have something on out of home yes i wanted to um finish up with this one piece for some reason um three or four times this week i saw articles that talked about the resurrection or the untapped opportunity in digital out of home out of home um has always been a, a media channel that has been I, w- i don't want to say frowned upon but it's been viewed very differently simply because of the sheer lack of data and measurement it comes from it so the exchange wire published two articles today that basically said a it's an untapped opportunity and b they've started this series called the mad tech sketches where they drew out uber's opportunity it's a beautiful sketch where they talked about how uber can actually tap into uber is uber's doing 100 million dollars a year today in ad revenue and they're projected to do 10 times that by 2024 so they're going to do a billion dollars in ad revenue and uh, exchange wire believes that one of the secrets to being able to hit a billion dollars is going to be their ability to tap into digital out of home as a as a source of ad revenue that a lot of people might ignore um when i think of digital out of home i think of folks like times ooh i think of vioma media uh, jc deco um a lot of organizations that have typically had significant control over outdoor space and i was talking to our colleague uh, rohan many years ago about out of home and he gave me a very interesting analogy where he said look in the in line with commercial agility marketers have to realize and many of the most successful marketers do which is the fact that you can't expect the same thing out of every type of advertisement you can't expect the same thing out of every ad format yes out of home lacks certain things which is why it will never attract a digital uh, wallet it will never attract spend from another medium that gives you something else but out of home has native benefits that cannot be given by somebody else and there's a very famous example of a british airways out of home campaign that was very well received in the uk and it was called look up so they had a digital billboard placed um uh, in london from not or placed in various locations 
and every time a British Airways plane went overhead, it would light up, and there's a child who would point up at the sky, and it would say, "Look up, that's BA four seventy five coming from Barcelona," and you cannot get that in any other ad format, and so Uber's opportunity is the fact that they have access to real time location and inside their cars they have enough data about that passenger that driver that location and in many ways the shifting definition of the metaverse is the fact that the metaverse has different avatars and we're still so early in its days that nobody knows even though it's a 40 year old term but one way to look at the metaverse is you know virtual reality and augmented reality another way to look at the metaverse is to say it is a point in time when we are more online than we are offline another way to look at the metaverse is to say that the internet is surrounding us as opposed to us going to the internet and logging on to the internet and if uber can surround you when you're in your car you have not really logged on to it you're just sitting in the uber and in many ways their ability to then convert this use your location data to advertise to you on the screen in the car is a beautiful evolution of digital auto so to use rohan's analogy different channels of advertising digital traditional out of phone digital out of phone are basically like a set of golf clubs and if you're a golfer you pick the club that you need for that situation um similar to what we were talking about when we spoke about tiktok and josh when we were at adtech you customize your message and your uh, return that you expect based on the channel that you are going to use and so i like what we're seeing with digital out of phone and i think it has some interesting potential I love it. I love it. I think today's episode has been really, really interesting, and I know that everybody else over here listening is also has been listening with rapt attention. You're on fire today, Anna, <laughs> with all the research that you did this week. I love the uh, analogy of the internet being around was like a nice warm hug versus us going into the internet. It sounds far more positive. Um, that brings us to the end of today's uh, episode, episode eleven. Uh, there's lots to be unpacked again within what we have said, and I'd love to hear back from if anybody's listening to this. Is anybody listening to this? And uh, I'd love to hear back from everybody. And we want to know uh, more of what you want to hear. Till next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.